Well, all I can tell you is that you are in for a treat today. My interview is with Annette Baker and Gabrielle Caplice. I don't want to give too much away about what's coming up. All I'll say is um, hold on to your hats, strap yourself in and listen to our episode on comparison. So wonderful to be having conversations again with Annette and Gabe. Welcome to Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Morning, Lucy. Morning, Lucy. Thank you. Today is a topic I'm very, very keen to delve into. We're going to talk about comparison. I feel it is a pernicious disease. It is a virus that just poisons the joy and love and natural deliciousness that we could move with. So my question is, where does it start? How does it become something that is so familiar? It is so dripping in our every interaction that we don't actually notice where it truly is. An example might be when my kids were teenagers, they used to talk about the comparison that they saw on social media. And they used to talk about the comparison they felt with their peers. But how do teenagers, children, recognize that particular pattern of behavior, that movement, if they haven't been schooled in it from very young? Now, my babies were measured within an inch of their lives, you know, their head circumference, their bodies, their, you know, fingers, toes, everything. Does it start there that if you don't sit on the right percentile, you are an outlier or, or not normal? And so we're all trying to fit into a sense of normal that that we're forever in comparison as to whether your normal is different to my normal. I don't even know where to start with it because to me the topic is so huge that I just see, I feel like I'm I'm unraveling this great ball of string and I don't actually know where it's going to go. Yeah, Luce, it's great that you said it like that, that it's so huge because it is huge and just it's kind of unfathomable listening to you speaking about it to actually put a pinpoint into where it actually begins. But something that you said about fitting in resonated very deeply with me. I just had a flashback of you know, even being at preschool or kindergarten and just feeling the immense pressure of needing to belong to something, even needing to belong to a family unit and to be accepted into that already starts with this. It's not necessarily a protocol, but it feels like a protocol and a pressure of like you have to fit in, but what are we fitting into? What are we? We're fitting into a family that's raised with 
certain ideals and beliefs. We're fitting into a culture. We're fitting into religion. We're fitting into education system. We're fitting into so much. And then it's the, it's the, then you're in the confines of that system. You're in the structure and the structure determines or communicates to you how you should be within that structure. And if you don't fit in, well, you're always going to be looking over your shoulder to see, to compare, to compete, because it's set up like that, that you actually fit in. So I'm actually feeling like <clears throat> fitting into whatever it is, the, the model of family life, the model of the, the design of culture, how culture culturally we're raised, how we are raised religiously, already is the beginning of determining the comparison mm. because you don't agree to all of that. And if you don't conform to that, you're already at odds with the model. And if you're at the odds of the model, then you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. And it's the distinguishing, it's the differentiation that brings up the comparison rather than us seeing we all uniquely have the same essence we all have a soul and that soul expresses uniquely through each and every one of us but the model determines that we all should be the same and when we're the same that's when the fights begin or that's when the competition arises or that's when the comparison happens because we're not brought up to celebrate the uniqueness we're brought up on the pressure that we have to conform to the, to the model of life, to the model of our families, to what our families say this is how you should be or what our society says this is how you should be. So that feels like the beginning, um, let's say, path of being off track that then arises the issue of comparison. Yeah, so comparison is the outplay of the initial poison that you're poisoned with to fit in. And you're being fed that, that it's safer to fit in than not fit in. And we have very clear examples of that doctrine being delivered in countries, in cultures, in religions, and in families, if you go against the law that is in place or the ruling or the, 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 the edict that's put down, you are either excommunicated, you are, um, you know, you're not allowed to be in that country, you're chucked out of the family, all sorts of, you know, it's very clear we've all either seen them or witnessed them probably by no accident, so that when you see and witness them, you're more likely to behave and and feel more need to fit in. And when a teenager does that, if they 
don't feel they fit in or want to fit in with their family, they then go to fit in with the friendship group that gives them the alternate family and likely not necessarily holding to their own values, but going potentially against their values just to fit in somewhere. And then when you fit in, you're in the same race Mm. because everything in this life is about succeeding on some level. Mm. So we're all on the same race. And then if we're in the pressure of a race, then, of course, you're going to look over your shoulder or look across to see how everyone else is doing in the race. And Mm. there begins comparison. Yeah. As if we were celebrated to just be ourselves, you're unique, you're amazing, then you're not looking over your shoulder at someone else in a, in a race, so to speak, going, where are you at? Where am I at? I'm falling behind. I'm not good enough. I don't fit in. I'm not okay. All of that stuff generates comparison. Gosh, you can really feel the power of looking up at the night sky and seeing how stars aren't bunched together. They're all spread out and they've got space between them. I mean, our puny eyes see them linearly, but the dimensions of what's between them all, when you talk about fitting in, it feels such a reduction And actually, we all want to be outliers. If we're all outliers, we allow space for everybody to be celebrated and allow people to shine for who they are. I was just, what came to me just at at, um, the end of what you were both saying there was um, with sport, you know, whatever age as kids or people were introduced to sport and I came across something just a couple of days ago, no coincidence that I had written two years ago that I'd forgotten that I'd written Mm. and it was, it was titled me and sport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd obviously just written it, you know, for my own sort of process or healing or whatever. And it was a, it was a story about, you know, my relationship with sport in my life, but particularly, um, when I was when I was a kid in a teen in early teens, and and I outlined um, this situation that occurred all throughout my infants and primary years, where there was me and one other girl who was a friend. We were friends, and we were always one and two in in all of our um, sporting, particularly in in running. So whether it be sprinting. Um, long long distance cross country we did all of them we all we both did sprints we did you know mid distance long distance and cross country and we always came first or second and it would just alternate and it was beautiful and we weren't even though there was like um you know you could call it a competition but it wasn't really it was just that we were we were challenging ourselves and we just happened to have somebody else who was at the same level all throughout those years and so there was a there was a a joy in it as well it wasn't like oh damn if you came second it was like oh well this time I came second this time I came first and then um in the in the 
what I had written when it came to the end of primary school, so sixth class in, in Australia, um, there was the um, end of year awards and I got um, athlete of the year. And then what I recounted in the story, what I realised as I had written it was after that I stopped I stopped running, I stopped athletics, I stopped everything that I had done and to that point. And it wasn't because, oh, I got the trophy and I and I succeeded, I got to the top. It was because I realised that didn't make sense because we were equal and somebody at the end of all of those years got a trophy to say you're the best and the other one got nothing. And so I stopped because that's not why I was doing it. I wasn't doing it for that. It was great to receive it. But when I realised that she was left there with nothing, I realised in, in when, I, when I had been writing that, the realisation came because I had often wondered, why did I stop running? Why did I stop that right then? And as I wrote it, I realised that's why. Mm. Amazing. And before high school, which would have embedded yeah. behaviour um, and would have called you to be a lot more competitive. Absolutely, yeah. Could have given you a reason to fit in in high school. Yeah. But you it clearly, I mean, that that's the joy of the reflection of children in our lives is how they show us the like, weirdness of what we have accepted as normal as adults. I love, I love young children. They just say it as it is. And whether or not you were able to clock it, then your movement showed it by just not, not running again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, definitely not competitively anyway. I mean, mm. I continued to run for a little bit longer just for my own health and fitness. Yeah. But never again after that moment competitively. Yeah. And those standards and measurements, as you were saying, um, Lucy, with your young children, you know, they're all measured. We are measured a lot in life and particularly in the school system. And now in this current era, 2023, with so much um, imagery there for all of us to actually measure ourselves against, whether it's advertising, social media, or just on the news, on the TV. It's just there's so much pervasive imagery <clears throat> for us to all be comparing ourselves with that if we have normalised comparison as an activity in human life. It's just normal to do it, mm. but I don't think we realise how corrupting it is for us and how harmful and how devastating it is, especially as a young kid, you know, amongst your peers. Um, I mean, it's always been around. It's not like we're all different ages. It's not like not, neither one of us have felt the imposition of comparison in our lives. We can all no nominate situations, whether it's in family life or, you know, um, at school, 
you know, some people have sibling rivalry. We all we in the workplace, we all know what it's like to deal with comparison and how um, demeaning it can be, how subjugating it can be, and then jealousy, which is even more intense to be to be in relationship with somebody that's jealous of you. We, we all know at every age, what it feels like to to have that and yet it seems to be that it's just part of human behavior human life well it's definitely part of it's you know i don't know as you say lucy you know the measuring of babies and children i don't i don't know i don't know if it goes back to that but certainly as soon as you enter the schooling system it comes in because of just the mere fact of learn a lesson, do an exam, you know, or, or do a drawing and get marked on it or, you know, do your numbers, do your maths and get marked on it. So it's, it's straight away, it's there. It's not about um, encouraging everybody to be their best or access their greatest true intelligence or wisdom. It's immediately, it's set up as a competition, who's going to be the best in the class. Mm. who's going to be the best in the year, who's going to end up with the best marks, who's going next year into the top class and who's going into the bottom class and who's going into the special class. and <laughs> Who's the dunce and who's the school captain and who's the captain of the football team and who's who is the prettiest and who's the most handsome and who's got the best body and who, who <laughs> went on the best holiday and who's got the best family environment and who's got the best family home with the pool that yeah. you can go in and you know or who's it, got the best pool <laughs> yeah it's who's got the whose mom and dad buys them the best clothes you know who who's got the best family pet it's just endless there are endless configurations of comparison that we can there's nothing as a human being that we can't turn comparison yeah. into. What, it's, what car is your mum or dad pulling up at school to pick you up in? And, you know, it's, it's fabulous because what we're outing is that marketing uses that mm. to be able to incentivize us to be top of the pack, to have the best car. You know, you've got to get your ex car because then, you know, at the playground you can tell my dad's got a mm, or you, you you know it fosters that in that comparison really early on in body size in um yeah in what you have and what you don't have which can i say is actually really impacting the health services around the world because now we have explosions of of eating disorders and disordered eating because everyone's in comparison and you have to have a particular body size so Mm. And you look at that and you go, diets have been very clearly correlated with eating disorders. But all of that, to bring it back to the comparison, all of that is about comparing ourselves to a picture that we have been fed we should be and looking back at how that is fed into schools. And, you know, I don't think there was any parent-teacher night that I went to 
that I didn't have a conversation or I wasn't told where each of them were in rank in the school Hmm. and then you know your state is very kind to say hey look this is where your school is in the state and this is where your kid sits in the state and we may as well throw in the world why not you know okay this is where it's just constant pictures of comparison that make you feel like you need to do so much to just be accepted and fit in and look right and be right and be okay as as you said in your introduction lucy it's it's pernicious and insidious and it yeah. just you know it just as you're describing it back it just weaves itself in you know seeds and weaves its roots in just so casually and so yeah. easily through life as if it's just as gabe said before just very very normal yeah because I wonder what it would all look like for us if we weren't imposed upon with comparison and the measuring, and even worse than that, the imposition of expectation, the expectation to live a certain way, mm. what would our true way be to live? Mm. Now, I don't mean you can just eat whatever you want or, you know, um, uh, have your own rules. It's not. It's not about that. But each and every one of us, in our essence, have a true roadmap of a pathway of living. And if we were, um, if we were living that in a loving way, what would that look like without the imposition of? Mum and dad said this, your sister said this, your brother said that, your, your school teacher said this, your peers at school say that, your boss says this, the university says that, and then there's advertising and then there's as net, the, the sporting mm. arena. There's There's so much that comes at us, as you're saying, Lucy, in imagery and constant measuring and expectation, what would life look like if we didn't have that? It's a it's a bombardment, and I think it feels this feels reminiscent of one of our previous conversations before. That something we've said is that. Um, you have to be very confident in yourself not to and very, you know, solid in yourself to know who you are, to not give in to that because it is it is all around us all the time. Last year and the year, well, the year after COVID where we could move around, which was last year, I think, or the first moments that we could travel and we had over June and July and August, September, we had lots of clients coming and they were all talking about their friends and family members and everyone they knew seemed to be overseas holidaying. In Greece particularly it was. Yeah, and (laughs) and Rome and Italy and the south of France or wherever. But anyway full Facebook and Instagram was absolutely full of these pictures of everyone's travel and everyone relaxing or 
you know, just letting go after the confines of being in COVID. But the jealousy and comparison was off the Richter because some people obviously couldn't afford to travel and they were just, you know, coming in saying, oh, it's just doing my head in seeing all my friends lying on the beach in, um, you know. X, Y, Z. Yeah, wherever. And south of France or Greek, the Greek islands, which seem to be a hotspot, or Turkey or, or, you know, cruising around the Mediterranean or Capri was a was a particular destination. And it was funny, but it also was very disturbing for them. And you can see that just that one situation, they were sort of feeling like I'm not living my best life because my friends are posting of these like romantic walks around the Greek islands or nights we're out dancing and everyone's eating beautiful food and, you know, getting tanned in their bikinis and whatnot or shopping in in their destination ports, et cetera. And I'm here and I'm at work and I'm in the grind and the grunge of living the way that I'm living. And then that becomes an aberration against the cycles of your life because what if you're in a particular cycle of study or work and you can't give up a project and or you've just had a baby and you you need to be focused on that cycle in your life but you're looking at everyone's instagram posts of like they're doing this and then you start to resent and erode and degrade the importance of the cycle that you're living in because you're in comparison. But it ex- but it also exposes people's lack of acceptance and settlement of their own their own life mm-hmm. of, of of as you say the cycle that they're in. And if there is um, you know if there is not acceptance an appreciation of your own life and a settlement with that, then you're not going to actually <clears throat> discern or read correctly what you're seeing. Yeah. So you're seeing all these images and you're you're absorbing what everyone is saying, oh, I'm having the best time, I'm having my best life, but you don't allow yourself to actually read, well, are they? Yes, they might be in an <clears throat> absolutely gorgeous, stunning location, but what's their What's their inner health like? What's their inner well-being like? And I'm not saying that everyone's not, but it's it's a lie to to suggest that just because you're in a beautiful location, you have true emotional or mental um, health in terms of true well-being. You don't. All of that can also be an escape and an avoidance. Yeah, I love. What- but if you if you allow if you allow yourself to absorb that projection. That, that then gets puts you into competition, then you're not actually reading life and other people correctly. That's, that's so great, Ned. And one thing that it sparked in me when you were saying that was that comparison instills in us or it, it, it creates this altered state in you where you start to fantasize about mm. other life, another life, as if like you've got an avatar, you're an avatar somewhere experiencing another scenario. Or when I 
fit into these clothes. You were talking about eating disorders, Lucy. You know, when I fit into these clothes, I'll be able to live this life and be with my girlfriends and club and, you know, some guy might find me attractive then. It's like the comparison begins you on a pathway of fantasy and, you know, um, seduction and desire that takes you completely away from the reality of what you are and what you're living and the truth of true changes you might want to make in your life. You start fantasizing about, and it's a duplicitness of like you're living this life, but you're fantasizing because you're seeing all of these images and you're being imposed on by comparison you start to to um, uh, look, you know, you, you're dreaming about greener pastures and you're imagining yourself here, there and everywhere else but where you are. So you start to deny being the presence of yourself, living presently and actually loving what you are. You start to um, split yourself. That introduces something quite interesting because if you split yourself and you're permanently looking outside, it highlights an emptiness that is in you that you're trying to fill from the outside of you. So Annette's comment about traveling the world, you can change everything on the outside, but if that emptiness is on the inside, no amount of pulling in things from outside is actually going to help you feel settled. And we have to pay attention to that with the rising rates of suicide and illness and disease. There is something we're not doing that's right. So as much as, you know, this may be a hard place to go, we absolutely have to, we have to nut through all of this. What if, what if comparison is fed to us so that we never question the fact that we feel that level of emptiness as as anything other than normal. So we are constantly, we buy into the marketing that tells us we've got to go and do all of this and and collect all of this rather than just actually turn inward and and build from the inside. Mm. Yeah, well said. And it keeps us like a hamster on the wheel. Mm fitting into the to the model that we're raised in. Like, okay, for Annette and I, we're both gay. We had to come out, which I hate. I hate mm. thing of having to come out. And I don't think anyone should have to do that. But we did at the time that we, when we were younger. But it gave us an opportunity to observe life and not fit into the model, the obvious model of like, get married, have kids, have your dog, have your house, work in a certain fashion. And it immediately threw a bomb or a grenade in the middle of all of that, you know, so you're already on the outside of the picture that's Mm. created of life. So what interests me is also the people that don't fit into the model and a lot of people that give up 
and just stray away. I mean, the the rising rates of suicide are really symbolic of there's many people and drug and alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. There's many people who don't want to conform. And what if they're basically saying, I don't want to run the race of comparison. Mm. I don't want to fit into this structure that's telling me I have to be like this and give into it because I don't want to conform to it. And I don't mean conform to a, you know, be rebellious and not be, not conform to the rules or the laws of society. It's not about that. It's just that there's very strong indicators for us when we're young and we're growing up that say you have to be a certain way. And comparison is one of those strong indicators that keeps us, and that's why I say it's so normalised. It's so normal to compare yourself at work with others. And we've even got KPIs Mm. to talk about that. We've got performance strategies. There's many workplaces where people are, they're on a they're on a board in the office and you can see where everyone is at in their work capacity you know it's it's so inbuilt with us but it's very very eroding for us because it doesn't sub- celebrate any part of the uniqueness of our essence but when you're an outlier and you actually don't give up when you say, bugger it, I'm going to live me. If you don't want to accept me, that's on you. But not as a reaction, as in let me drink and find as many ways as I can to distract myself from the fact that I don't fit in, but just be prepared to be an outlier and still commit to life and still commit to your work. And there is something about the strength of that that means you, it's, it's like you're not affected by the comparison as much because you've already felt what it feels like to not fit in. Yes. So you you don't you're not hooked in the same way. Something has cleared your eyes a little bit about how vicious and nasty people can be about fitting in, and you've gone, "Well, I'm not subscribing to that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um you 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 see through the lie of it. As I mean, Gabe, you just said it's inbuilt and it is in a sense of we've absorbed it so much and, you know, there's an aspect of us that has created this, um, uh, what do you call it, before hamster wheel, you know, where where comparison is just one of the many things that we take on that are not true. But if you do see it for what it is, see it for the destruction, the destructiveness of what it is and how it erodes and interferes and disturbs and breaks up, you know, human relations, relationships, if you step back from that and see how insidious it actually is, then you see through the lie of it and realise it's actually not who we are. Having the strength in yourself to be able to actually step back from all of these aspects of human life and society that dictate to us how to be that are not actually supporting any true health or well-being whatsoever. And then when you do that, 
yeah, when you stand back, you you actually see that it's just it's a lie and it's it's actually quite simple to not get involved with it. Yeah, but then the the collective group around you, whether it's yeah. work or school and your peers or your family gang up on you and they're the ones that bring the pressure of the comparison and jealousy because you're standing free of the imposition of that judgment and you no longer um, are obedient to that in your life. (laughs) You no longer, you know, give your power away to that, so to speak, and then you get the pressure of everyone on you going, oh, so you're not drinking now or, oh, so you're looking after your body now or, oh, you're going to bed early or you're you're not concerned hmm. about whether you're holidaying in Capri or not. You know, yeah. you're not um, striving to buy a particular brand of car and, you know, um, live a particular life. Yeah. So how do we bring this back to families? Because on some level we have a responsibility when you are a parent to give your young person the best opportunity to be able to spot this because, I don't know, we've used the word pernicious. For me, like we, it, it's nasty. We've got to see it as nasty. We've got to see it as at having, well, we have an opportunity to see it as controlling us, as influencing so many of our decisions that we may not be aware of. So how do we practically give some examples to parents of where we could maybe pick that up in a family environment, the 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 fitting in into a family? How can we be brave enough to say it's okay not to fit in? Still got our standards, but what that looks like, and maybe we can talk about the sibling rivalry, be where we can really spot how comparison has embedded itself in our families. One of the, um, you at the beginning in the intro think you also use the word, the poison, that it's poisonous. So if we, if we really, you know, love someone and we know who they are, like we have a sense of, you know, what this person is really about, what they're like, what their integrity is, what their values are, what matters to them, how they express when they feel you know, at ease and relaxed and settled in themselves, if we know that as a marker, then any time you see anything less than that, we could say, and it might sound extreme, but we could say they've been poisoned in some way. So looking out, well, firstly establishing that marker, so loving loving the people in your life enough to have a marker of or a sense of who they really are and so that any time they're not that, you you're alerted to the fact that something has disturbed them they've taken something on i think that's really really important not just for parents but but you know to answer it to your question but really for anybody in our lives that we love and that is a responsibility that would be you know uh, have a huge impact if we actually all took on that responsibility that's a great point kids teenagers you know most people hate being told what yeah. to do and and it's not correct to be told what to do we have to come to our own 
awareness of what's correct for us or what's a point of, you know, uh, truth or integrity for us. So it's just more uh, as someone in someone else's life, be it a parent, a partner, a, a you know, a adult child to a parent, whatever it is, it's more just being observant of the fact that, oh, something shifted that, you know, we have these terms, they're not themselves. Yeah, that's a poison. Wow. Just clocking for yourself, that's a poison. There it is, there it is, there it is. So there's a at least a clocking. Yeah. I, I wanted to share about in family life, um, say you have a family of two kids or you have three or five, whatever, and then there's the parents. Each and every person, as we've been talking about, has their own unique expression, their, their great strengths, their weaknesses. And we all have our lessons that we're learning in life and we learn those lessons as we live our life. When you enter into a family environment, often, and it's talked about, that everyone should be treated equally. And we know as as human beings, of course, we are to be treated equally. But sometimes that's homogenized so that the particular strengths or lessons of a particular person are then crushed to not be um, focused on an allowed space and celebrated to draw draw out. So say in a family, if you had, and you often hear people in, you know, in session talk about their family life and say, oh, you know, I was my mum's favourite or you know, my sis, my I got on with my younger sister, but I didn't get on with my older brother or whatever, you know. Um, hence, we're talking about the rivalry. Hence, we're talking about the competition and comparison. And kids often compete or in comparison for their parents' affection or their... But if we had a natural way and a true way of expressing about all of that that pertain to a particular person's lesson. So, for example, if, um, you know, in, in our family, in my family growing up, my dad was very, is very creative and so was I. And in a, it, it stood out and in, in the beginning stages. It's not that my siblings, my, my younger sisters and my brother were also not creative. They are very much so. And they, 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 went on to sh- to express more of that. But in the beginning stages, my dad and I had a natural alignment with that and a language to share. Now, if we spoke about that in lessons to say, in, 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 a, in a true way to say, oh, well, there's obvious an, an alignment there and a lesson that we are learning together and that has a particular purpose, and those strengths are there to be celebrated and not to be offset and seen as jealousy in comparison by the siblings or the mum or anything like that. That didn't necessarily happen in our family, the comparison as such like that. But it does in lots of families 
but I know that we didn't speak about it like that in our family. And and I see and feel that that would be a great beginning step to talk about it like that so that we all understand, we all have insight as to why people are a certain way or why, why they feel to be together in a certain way. And it's not necessarily a a distinction or a separation or an an exiling or an exclusiveness against another. Does that make sense? It totally does. And it's played out in our family in terms of sport and everyone trying to be dad's favourite by being really good at sport and knowing that that's something he likes to talk about and so they get good at something or they start paying attention to cricket or whatever it may be to so that they can have those connections but also I can see how the way we communicate could also be less criticized and more celebrated in that you know I've got a, a daughter who's very direct she calls something she can see things that we can't see and it's really actually frustrating when you're trying really hard to you know, have 15 sentences to describe something and she says it in two words. I mean, (laughs) hello. (laughs) And she gets frustrated at the 15 sentences and I'm frustrated at the three words, two or three words. But my husband, who could also do the two or three words, gets it really easily. And what we've learned to do is actually celebrate each other's ways of expressing and see how we each see things from different angles and how we bring a different perspective that's really valuable to the whole. So we used to have situations where one person in the family would just be really quiet the whole time and wouldn't get involved in any of the discussions we had. And what's come to, you know, to be very clear recently is that they actually hold a lot of the rubbish that's going around they don't engage with it at all and what they're showing us is what are you doing what are you doing just don't even need to talk or be or anything like that I'm not getting involved in that you carry on I'm not getting involved it's it's so beautiful what you can see when you stop being involved in those family dynamics and stop thinking oh well you're you two get on so well because you have something that you you can connect with, but I'm left out of that. I'm not part of that. So you clearly don't love me as much as them. It's It plays out so much in families if my family is anything like anyone else's. <laughs> yeah, and there has to be a maturity and that can be initiated by the parents and the way we all express like that. So in a family, we all express those things. We celebrate each other's strengths and support each other in their weaknesses. And yeah. there, there are many sort of alignments within a family, like whether it's between, I mean, I remember a lot of sometimes when things were not true with mum and dad, we all as siblings would gang up on them or, yeah. you know, yeah. We'd see it as a gang up, but what we were actually doing was a protest to say, we don't agree with that. That doesn't feel correct, you know. Um, And then there's not 
you have the opportunity to be more yourself and to speak more your truth. And then there's this beautiful um, celebration and honoring of each other in the truth that they are and the the um, beautiful, unique expressions that they are rather than rather than fostering and nurturing, as Net was talking, the poison of competition and comparison because that so often happens in family life and I see it with parents that they don't they don't police that that mm. because it's so normalized they don't know how to stop it and arrest it they see their kids in incredible sibling rivalry and jealousy and they actually feed it mm-hmm and handed a bone rather than actually separating the scenario or arresting the momentum of it or, as Ned said, observing how poisonous it is and how destructive. And it can send one person completely AWOL in the family and that's where we get the black sheep of the family mm-hmm. scenario where they feel like they have to go out and stake and claim themselves and find their own family because they don't fit in here yeah. because there's too much comparison or competition and jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just just before you said that, I was just feeling how, yeah, if if there's a um, you know, often if there's conflict or tensions or fights or disagreements in families, it's often the case that people just want to just you know, sweep it under the rug, push it aside, just deal with it, deal with it in a very sort of slip, slop, slap way, and just let's let's just move on. And I'm not talking about like you know navel gazing or anything and having to go into deep, you know, big, long, deep and meaningfuls, but to actually just responsibly deal with those situations and actually uncover well what actually happened here guys you know if you've got a couple of kids that are fighting what actually went on and actually get to the truth but if that doesn't happen if they want just the quick oh let's just move on then the resentment builds because inevitably somebody's going to feel like they're misunderstood or they they're constantly getting um the blame or the, the finger pointed at them and then the other one's sort of, you know, fist pumping, going, "Yeah, I, you know, I got seen as the good guy again." Yeah. So if there's if there's a, a um, avoidance of actually addressing things in a in a responsible, mature way, then that can easily just fu- continue to fuel and perpetuate that kind of sibling rivalry and competition, and then somebody grows up into an adult feeling like they've just never been really understood it's you know it's quite shocking and it's just a simple matter of like okay we'll deal with what's in front of us Mm. doesn't have to be long-winded it doesn't have to be arduous just simple straight to the point what actually happened here I love that and it and it it stops someone being able to feel justified to take that hurt in later into life it deals with it in the moment and then it doesn't build that momentum that you were saying one more thing we all we all know that we need to be adored. Everyone wants to be adored and everyone wants to be loved. And I was considering when you guys were talking about that, about <clears throat> the many moments which just seem to be very natural. 
that when you're, say, you're two or three years old and you find out that or you know that mum's coming home from the hospital with a newborn and you've got to consider that, how many, how, how much has that infiltrated our family life that we know that the toddler or the firstborn or the second born or whatever does not handle the newborn arriving and immediately goes into some kind of contraction or attention-seeking behaviour because they don't feel that they're the focus of the adoration anymore because yeah. there's a natural focus on the newborn of adoration. And it's so natural. So it it can begin so simply in those moments. And I feel that as human beings, we don't step up to the fact that there's so much love for us to express and we can adore so many people and equally so. It doesn't have to be that we feel overwhelmed that we've only got enough love to focus on this particular person at this particular moment. So part of the reason that comparison exists is because we are measured in the way that we love and we don't allow ourselves to just love fully. Mm. And if we did love fully and did adore fully, maybe we wouldn't have that existing in our relationships around us, whether it's at work, whether it's at home in our family life, whether it's in our partnerships. Um, you know, it makes sense that if you feel loved and adored, there's no purpose then to get disturbed by comparison or jealousy. You're not triggered to react to that because with those that you're in relationship with, you feel loved and adored. And if you're a person that's expressing the fullness of your love and adoration to others. If we're talking about in this instance, you know, posing the question about well, what can parents do, then any parents, you know, listening to this conversation and considering this, of course, then also has to look at their relationship with comparison if they mm -hmm. are to be able to support their children because if they're still engaged with it and they're still um, flying the flag for it, let's say, mm -hmm. then how are they going to support their kids not to be in comparison? That It's it's not possible by, by you know, energetic mathematics. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. So there's, again, just that personal responsibility for all of us to look at. Mm. I love... Um... I love coming back to the science and mirroring neurons, which are what babies have, and they learn by movements. They learn, they watch, and they mirror. So if we see that we have those, how about we kind of trigger a few of those and just trust that the way we move and what we do is watched by many and that maybe that will be what our kids pick up first and foremost before our words. If you don't feel that you can do that in your family yet, try and practice it with one other person and then just ex let that expand so that in obviously the ideal place would be in a family, but 
home may not be where you feel safest to do that yet, but being able to practice this first with yourself, triggering people's mirroring neurons, and then taking it into a relationship with one other person and seeing if you can tease it out with them and then just let that grow. Because we don't know what has been what we've been poisoned with until we start expressing it and we start talking about it and we're willing to see it. And then as Annette, you have beautifully set shared, it will come up to the surface. And as as Gabe, you've also shared it, it's there to see. But we need to be willing to see it and not judge ourselves, adore ourselves that we are going to actually say, enough, I've been poisoned. I probably don't know half of the nooks and crannies that this poison is living in, in my behaviors, in my thoughts, in my emotions, in my movements. I need to deep delve and just see what comes. Mm. Beautiful, Lucy. Great, Lucy. Huge love to you both. Thank you very much. Till next time. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Lou. Bye. Awesome.